Rabbit Blyway's crash course in history helped me here. I think it's seven. Number seven? Yeah. I think so. Last we had two last week, and this is the fifth this week. Okay, and we're, we're not as far along as I, I, I envisioned, but who cares? Uh, I'm having fun. The um, Elia Navi's disciple is a great Navi by the name of Elisha. Elisha's, Elisha actually, when, when I, I do, I play favorites. When I have children who has names that come into history, I tend to elaborate more than I do, uh, do on the ordinary person. But Elisha really is a Gavaldiga. Oh, I, did I press it? No, you are. I forgot, officially. Uh, now it's on. That's where it goes, but we'll find out by the end of the session. Very good. The, um, Elio Navi did lots of miracles. What does it mean when a Navi does miracles? That he married right, thank you. Excellent way of phrasing it, David. He married the miracles. He didn't do the miracles. That's all Hashem. But they did, and look at the beginning of the Gemara and you'll see that they did. They did amazing miracles. And Elisha actually, quite finished, doubled the miracles, doubled the number of miracles of his, of his Rebbe, and his are even more spectacular. Anybody know some miracles of Elisha, Hanavi? The famous ones? His, his Rebbe did a Tchiyas Amesim, or Hashem enabled a Tchiyas Amesim, and, and Elisha has a Tchiyas Amesim. Who is his Rebbe? Eliyahu revived. Anybody know the Medrash says who, who that child was? And who grew up to be? I don't know. Yonah. And Elisha's was a baby who grew up to be? Actually, it was, was, was a young boy already by the time you were. We read about a couple weeks ago in, in the Haftar, in Vayera, we read about the Shunamis. Who, who was a big machnisa orchim, and she took in Elisha, and she had a son who the Medrash tells us grew up to be Habakkuk. We mentioned, we mentioned the other day, one of the, one of the Treyasar, one of the 12 prophets. Well, um, now it's time, now that they finally envisioned the prophecy, the prediction of Eliyahu, that the house of Ahab will be wiped out, um, it's time to actually realize that, and that, you remember the curse? The curse that the, the dogs would lap up their blood, very graphic curse, but it's all me to connect me to Hashem that gets no pleasure when he punishes us. It's all there to teach us Musr, to be better human beings. You learn the Bible, you must learn the Tanakh as Musr. Relevant, vibrant, living, dynamic, totally relevant to our days if you learn it properly. Most people don't. Um, so he anoints a, a general by the name of Yehu, who goes, who goes, who's charged with destroying the house of um, Ahab, but worse, remember what Ahab introduced for the first time in Jewish history? It's really obvious, really basic, something really bad. But not just about Zara. We've seen that before. Right, grade A, old style, the old time religion. Because before it was a Zara in quotation marks that wasn't so sincere. They also believed in Hashem. Now suddenly they had the worship of the Baal, and that's, that's serious, that's big time. So Yehu does the job. He, 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 he becomes actually the next king. He is seen as basically inside. He's probably the greatest. Uh, oh, I meant to pass these out. So now at least you can visualize a little bit. I intentionally did not make so many of these, which means take and then pass. But the, the, you'll see in the handouts, the two handouts. Um, those of you who so desire, you may keep these. I see that most of you aren't interested in keeping, which is fine. I don't like to waste too much paper. That's why I didn't make too many. In one sheet, very straightforwardly, is the estimate. Remember, be skeptical at any map. We don't really know maps. But it's roughly what the southern kingdom of Yehuda looked like and the northern kingdom of Israel looked like, and all of the relevant names, as they are at least in English, of the surrounding nations that mostly made war with the, with the Jews. And then you have here, also anglified, excuse the names, um, but you have the list of the various kings. In the, on, the, on the right side is, are the real kings coming from Shaul and his son, right, who just, very briefly, Ish, um, right, Ishbosheth, and then David and the house of David, all the kings down to the last king of the Jews, 
Tzidkiyahu Amelech was the last king, official real king ever. And then you have the breakaway in the northern kingdom, all the, all the kings of what was called the Mamlechus. The northern kingdom was called Mamlechus uh, Yisrael. Right? And that's, you have the names. And, and you have the various dynasties. Yehu arguably was the finest of the northern kings. And his charge, and so take and pass and ask me questions if you have them as they come up. But Yehu's task is to, yeah, Yosef. I skipped it. I mentioned briefly Yonah, but I'm being selective in history. I'm trying to tell stories, some of them that have to be told if you're doing a rampage through history, but I'm trying to tell a lot of things that people might not be familiar with. I mean, I'd like to open your eyes, you know, I'd like to give over something that may be new and, 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 and interesting. So Yehu, for example, is that a story that's familiar to anybody here? Good. Okay, so that's maybe uncharted. It's very significant because he does it. He basically is cleansing the blood of Navos, who was innocently murdered, uh, by destroying this house of Ahav. Um, the king's sons, Ahav, are both become kings themselves. They both die. And finally, when the house is almost entirely destroyed, there's one survivor. It's the queen. Her name again? She's really trash. Izevel. Sorry, Rabbi Fesham. Izevel. Um, he, he knew. Zach knows. He knows what you talk. You know. um, so, so Ezevil, and in a very dramatic scene, and I have to tell you, anybody, I, I, I go to Shomron. Have you been to Shomron? What's called Sebastian? Most people don't go. You need an army escort. But it's Givaldi. Right? One day I want to bring you to Shomron, even if I have to drag you there. Just leave you there. <laughs> well, you know, that's what I have planned. But it, it's one of those places that they have the ancient sites there, and you can envision. This scene, and I act this one out there. You can see Izebel coming out in the second story. She paints her eyes and her face, and she looks down at Yehu, and she knows what he's planning. He's going to kill her. And she says, ha, and, she, and she, she says sarcastically from her window, Hashalom Zimri, Hore Ahore Gadonav. She's making reference to an earlier servant who killed off the king and then became king himself, Zimri. She said, oh, are you Zimri who's coming to kill off his masters? She said disparagingly to Yehu down below. And um, Yehu nods, and he sends his henchmen up, and they, they throw her body over. And she smashes to smithereens. She's completely killed. Except, interestingly, Chazal tell, her, tell us that um, her, her, her skull remains intact. It survives against the odds. And her hands and feet also are there. The rest of her body, true to the prediction by the Navi, the dogs come and lick up the blood. Like every one of every member of the house of Ahab, deservedly. Oh, Mina, can I, I give Mina? Why the hands, the feet, the skull? Why are they preserved? Because she participated in Simchas. Yeah. yeah. Meaning, even the grossest villains in history we see have redeeming virtues, and the Kaddish Baruch Hu rewards everybody, Mina, can I with what they deserve? Because she she clapped, she sang, she she danced for all the kalas at their weddings. So those elements of her body were duly rewarded. But you need food, I guess. What's that? Oh, I guess not. Yeah, that, that probably didn't work out so well for her. Yes, Jeremy. Um, did, anybody, did anybody who didn't get a map and a, a list of the kings would like one? And anybody would like to, to, make my, to meet my challenge and memorize all of the, um, the, the descendants from Adam and Rishon down to Tzitkiyahu Melech? It's utterly doable. When you meet in a few weeks, one of, my, one, one of the superstar students of all time in Derech, uh, my beloved, uh, beloved student, Yaakov, uh, Greenspan is going to be coming and spending his winter break um, from University of Maryland. He's going to come here. He can do this. And probably when he gets to the plane, you'll say, oh, you're Yaakov Greenspan? Can you say, the, can you say all the lineage from Adam down to Zikamela? And can rattle it off very, very quickly. Go ahead. All right. Two questions now. So the first question is, uh, even someone like Haman, was Haman rewarded by Hashem or not? Everybody gets something. So 
Because Hashem doesn't make mistakes. What the redeeming virtues are, maybe Haman was the catalyst that enabled Jews to be Mikhaim and Kimu the Kiblu because of Haman. But everybody gets something. Sometimes it's not stated. You have to use your, you have to, you have to, you have to look into Chazal or or, or, or or do some darshaning to figure it out what it is. By Izevel, it's stated. Um, second question is: uh, Do we get some sort of uh, reward for memorizing these things? Ooh, wow, now you're incentive. talking. Is this like a bribery thing, incentive program? Yeah, for sure. And gratification, but I, I might, I might be, I might be persuaded. I have, I have to think of something that's manageable and, and, and doable. Um, I know, seriously, you deserve it. If you survive this, if anybody's been here the whole time, I really should take you out somewhere and just show up to get wild. I'm a tour, I'm a tour guide. Um, are these all the kings? Those are the kings of the. Those are the kings in the south and the north. You know, the northern kings are not legitimately kings. The only legitimate kings are Harabites. Ooh, I'm there. I'd love to. Uh, anybody got ashes of Paraduma? By any chance? The, uh, that's the only way you can do it. Uh, what's his I name? know, not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. Ooh. Anybody got um, uh, tickets to Ashkelon? We'll go visit Daba Benesina, perhaps? We don't know where they are. Why is there a Yay, one last thing. It's not in my notes. I can't resist. One of these doesn't take me so long. I keep thinking of this other choice nugget of history. Yehu does something to get rid of the worshippers of the Baal. He says, I'm going to have everybody, we're going to have a Baal convention. And he, 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 he has a whole temple there that they used to worship the Baal. And he said, everybody's going to worship Baal. I'm going to out-worship you. And, you know, there's nothing like um, some, a little competition to get everybody excited. Say, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna show you how to worship the Baal. So everybody and their uncle who ever worshipped Baal, which actually is a very small number. Rev, uh, Victor Miller uses this as a proof, one of his proofs for why really the people in the north were, were basically essentially good and Siddiquim. It was the it was the fringe minority who fell into idolatry. The people in this period were essentially very, very good. Um, and it was, the, it was the estranged. Now, how did Yehu ensure that it was just the worship of Baal who were going to come to this convention? He said, only come in your best Baal getup. They used to wear a special costume, special wardrobe. Only if you have your wardrobe, you're permitted to enter. So people dressed up in their finest Baal, whatever it was, um, array. He brought them all in the temple, and he massacred every last one of them. Nice. Quite. Oh, yeah, they don't do it like they used to. Yes. How long did the? A little while, yeah. That's been that. That's that's been a, that's been a constant through history. Why do you ask? Was that? Yeah, the Chora, the, we, don't, we don't see it described. Even though it's a reasonable question because we saw, we talked about the the nature change. That's why they used to have long life. Remember the, the difference between the pre flood and post flood, antediluvian and post diluvian worlds. Oh, yeah, that was miraculously. That was against the natural order, but I think Mia was asking about within the natural order how that works. Correct. And not just then, what was the other big demographic boom in history I told you? Remember this? 1940s. No, no, no. No, 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 but they know that track. 19th century. Tsarist Russia. Russia. Oh, Remember, yeah. we, we, we over quadrupled yeah, the number of Jews minus. in the world within a century, right? Something like, not quite Mitzrayim, but of, that, of those proportions. Meanwhile, back in the South, and I'm not doing every single king that you see mentioned there, but I'm, I'm, I'm picking out some of the prominent ones and some of those that you should know about. Yoash, during this period, he was that little baby that survived Natalia. Remember, Natalia almost assassinated almost the, house of, uh, the entire house of David? Yeah. yeah. So he was the one who was spared, and he grows up. And initially, he's described to be a very fine person at Sadiq, he's even likened the Pasuk at one point, likens him with David Amelech, which is uh, pretty good. Um, he initiates reforms, he, he, does an, he does renovations in the base of Mikdash, 
And um, this is 155 years already after Shlomo Melech had built it. He, there were corrupt Kohanim in his day. He, gets, he removes them. He is unable, of course, like all of his predecessors in Shlomo, to remove the... Now, what are they called? Remember, we oh, talked about this concept in history. The, what are they called? What are the names? No, no. Bamos. Right? He cannot remove the Bamos, the private high places of worship. That was too entrenched in the Jewish people. They didn't get rid of them. Um, his cousin, however, is the Gadol Hador. And something turns sour in Yoash. And sometimes you see some of the fine people suddenly turn evil. And Yoash is one of these people that's almost inexplicable. You have to look at the Mepharshim to understand this. He has a cousin by the name of Zachariah ben Yehoyada. Zachariah ben Yehoyada, not to be confused with the more famous Zachariah Hanavi, one of the last prophets, but he's in the beginning of the second temple period. We're in the middle of the first temple period. It's a significant thing. Zachariah ben Yehoyada is upset with the behavior of the Jews. He sees them already. It's already a couple generations after Yehoram and Asaliah, and Avodazar has been even introduced in the southern kingdom, and he's not happy at all. And remember, the Nevi'im were fearless. They rebuked the people, and, 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 and he doesn't stop. He's in the area of the Azara, of the base of Mikdash. Dramatize this with some pictures so you can, so you can, uh, you can picture the scene. He's standing here, right? There's, here's underneath the base of Mikdash, underneath the area where the Dome of the Rock is today. Right, so they, um, in the area of the Azara, he is standing, let's say this is a picture somewhere here. This is overlooking from the Jewish quarter from the, in the middle of the 19th century. Uh, right, and somewhere here under where the Dome of the Rock is, was previously a, a gray dome, now it's golden. Right, so somewhere here he's standing there and he gives public rebuke to everybody, including the king, on Yom Kippur, on the holy day. And he doesn't stop, and he doesn't, he's not concerned about how they're gonna hear it. He knows that they have to hear it, and that's what a Navi does, true to his, true to his form. Probably because he's influenced by his wicked grandmother, Asalia, Yehorash does something unspeakable. He orders the execution of Yehoyada. Excuse me, of, of, of Zachariah ben Yehoyada. He has him stoned right there in the middle of the base of Mikdash, thereby committing seven crimes in one crime. What are the seven? It's Ritzicha, it's murder of a Kohen, Kohen Gadol, who's a Navi, and a Dayan, he's a Shofet, he's a judge. It's the Chil Beis HaMikdash, which is an Isidir Isa, desecrating the grounds of the Beis HaMikdash, on Yom Kippur, that also happened to be Shabbos Kodesh. Wow. And I would add, probably while wearing Shabbos and reading pork chops, but I, that's just me. You know, they do everything possible bad, killing a Navi of Hashem, saying the words of Hashem. What happens to the blood? Pay attention, this is going to come up to haunt us. The blood lays on the grounds of the base of Mikdash, uncovered on the Chatzar floor for 238 years, seething and bubbling in agony and in warning that if th this is not somehow, not somehow uh, addressed, then the Jews will eventually pay for it. Pay attention to this because remember the patterns of history. They come back if they're not if they're not addressed, not the Romans. We're talking about the, no, this is the first base of Mikdash. We're in the first temple. No, no, not the Romans. Not the Romans. You, you probably have the story. I'll tell you where you might know the story from. You might know the story. Anybody pay attention during those interesting kinos that we say on Tisha B'Av? One of the kinos in Tisha B'Av is all about this. And mentions it explicitly. If you read those great footnotes in the, in the art scroll, it would tell this story. Okay, more on that later. Um, one, of the, one of the later kings, um, the grandson of Yehoash is Azariah. He uh, ascends to the throne when he's 16 years old. He rules for 52 years. Azariah, in fact, Azariah, in fact, may be the older brother of the great Navi, the second greatest Navi of all times. Yeshayahu, Yeshaya, right? Um, 
Azaria is also described essentially as a decent fellow. He's a tzaddik. He does good things. He doesn't remove the bamos. Uh, Uziyahu. He has two names. He's either Azaria or Uziyahu. Do you see him? Uziyahu or Azaria. Sometimes they anglicize the names in unrecognizable ways. That's the disadvantage of reading the English. But what are you going to do? The, um, his fault was that he learned Tyra, but not constantly. Do you know you're supposed to always be learning Tyra? Right? He, 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 had, he took one, can you believe this? One session in the afternoon he took off. Radical. Chutzpah. And um, that's what Chazal say was his problem. And this is why the following very famous scene in history occurs. He's the king. A king has certain rights and certain obligations. He also has certain things he's not allowed to do. And he can't overstep his bounds. And he goes into the Azara. And he goes over to the Kohanim. And his intention is actually to burn the Ketoris, which is part of the Avoda of the Kohanim. And if you know this Pasuk, he says it a few different times. Zar HaKarev, Anan, Zar is anybody who's not the designated person. Zar HaKarev, Yumas. Anybody who tries to usurp somebody else's position, if you try to do the work of the Kohen and you're not a Kohen, if you try to do the work of a Levi, even a Levi who's a Mishorer, who's part of the, part of the singing troops of the Levim, who goes over and tries to be a Shower, one of the gatekeepers of the Levim, one of them is Chayv Misa for doing the other one's job. Can't do that. Can't overstep our bounds. And he wants to offer Ketiris. He thinks it's his kingly rights. And the Kohanim are there and they don't know what to do. After all, you have to respect the king and can't be disrespect. Yeah, what are you going to say about a king? Uh, sir, uh, we can't, you, know, you can't do this. And the king gets angry. And he says, you don't tell me what to do. And there's, a, and there's actually breaks out into a confrontation between the king and the Kohanim. And meanwhile in heaven, the Malachi Asharis are going crazy. They're saying, Hashem, you can't spare this guy. Look at him. But Hashem is always Midas Rachamim, is always going to bat for us. And he says, the Medrash tells us, he says, no, no, I, I'm going to spare him on some level. And instead of, instead of killing him on the spot, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends, well, he sends an earthquake. Um, but it's not any earthquake. It's the earthquake. It's probably the most famous, significant earthquake of all times. It's called the Rash. It's so great, this Rash, that it's measured for years to come. Um, it's the source of, when we say Kadosh, 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 Ye Ye um, Yeshayahu refers to a Rash. It's that Rash. It's that earthquake that everybody remembers. Zechariah, the later Zechariah, says, cites this Rash, this earthquake, as the precedent for the earthquake that's going to happen in the day, in the end of day's war. There's going to be the Melchemet Gogumago, what the Christians mistakenly call. What do they call it? Gogumago? They call it Armageddon, right? They get it all messed up like they usually do. But um, in this case, in this case, there will be an earthquake, and um, and 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 this is the earthquake that sets the precedent. Um, and this is very interesting. Uh, this is where the archaeology comes in and sometimes enhances our, our discussion. Um, the uh, geologists today believe they found evidence of the sites throughout Eretz Israel and Jordan. From the time period, they do the carbon-14 dating, and they, 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 they claim evidence that supports that there was an earthquake during this period of Uziyahu, of Azaria. Um, the king, meanwhile, is suddenly struck in the middle of his forehead with tsaras. What's tsaras? Uh, right, that's how it's incorrectly translated, but it's not. It's saras. The definition of saras is saras. It's one of a kind. There's a, it's, it's, it's divine dis disease. Types, no? And he has no idea. There are different times. Different there's sace, there's all kinds of different things. So it's right there, smack in the middle of the forehead. He doesn't realize it at first. And the coding start to recoil. And the king is, what? 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 And then the king, in addition to his saras, is struck dumb. 
and he's incapacitated for the last 25 years of his life. His son rises up and actually assumes the, the king's duties because the king is basically incapacitated. But it's an example of somebody who's basically well-intending in this very high elevated generation who makes major mistakes. It's at this time in history, about, about this time, that a new kingdom on the block is rising up. The old Plish team have more or less receded into the tides of history. We see this, remember the Mark Twain quote, Mark Twain quote we quoted at the very beginning? They come and they go, they're here and they're there. So you had the Plish team, and you had the Aram, who's now no longer kind of receding into the background. Suddenly Ashur, in English you call Ashur Assyria, today Syria is more or less in, where, where historical Ashur starts to rise up like a lion. They're the ones that, remember Hashem said, Yosef, you asked for a little Yonah story? So they're the ones that Yonah was sent to warn in Ninveh that they should repair their ways. And he didn't want to because he knew that they would make tshuva and it would all be a phony. And they would rise up eventually and get, get the children. And Yono always defended the children against the father. He defended Am Yisrael too much and, not, and Hashem not enough. So, they, were, they were living by Paro, weren't they? What's that? They were living by Paro. They were related to Paro. What are you saying? But they're an the Ashur. Leader, Par the leader. No, Paro is Egypt. Paro was no, the... Was no, but who's the leader of uh, Ninbe? Yeah, uh, isn't there a major assistant? I know the person the leader. At the time, maybe. Not now. They have different names, the, the, these kings. The famous kings of Ashur are Sancheirib is the most famous, and he's the one who's alive now. Chazal say that the multi has multiple names. Um, Piglas uh, Pileser and others. Ashur rises up and sets its sight on the northern kingdom, and I've skipped a lot of the material. The northern kingdom, basically, after Yehu and his dynasty, um, they revert to the old ways of Avodah Zarah. They never get rid of the guards. Remember the guards that Yeruvim ben Nevad had posted up? What did the guards prevent effectively? People from doing Elias. Yeah, they couldn't come down to Yushalayim. That way the Jewish people was permanently severed. We were, we've never been unified since then. They never got rid of the guards until the last king, Hosea ben Allah, finally removes the guards, but it's not good enough. Because he never encourages Jews to go down to Yerushalayim to be Ola Regel and visit Yerushalayim, and out of habit or out of aversion, they don't. And because of their sin, HaKadosh Baruch Hu finally decides that they're going into exile, and the northern kingdom of Ashur exiles them in three different variations. There's a machlokus about who came first, was it, were the two and a half tribes across across the, uh, the Jordan River with the other ones. In the end, Asher comes and sweeps away with most of the Jews, most of the nine and a half tribes who become um, effect effectively what are referred to in popular culture as the 10 lost tribes of history. You have to realize the significance of this. The 10 lost tribes have stayed with us conceptually ever since then. Um, there, have been, there were famous charlatans who rose at different junctures in history claiming to represent, I come from this, David Haruveni comes in the 1500s. Ruhuveni, claiming obviously he was from the tribe of Ruven, and he claims he's a precursor, a harbinger of the final Mashiach. And what's going on in the Jewish world in the 1500s? Uh, it's right after the, the what, was their, what was their Holocaust in that generation? Uh, the Spanish Inquisition and expulsion. And the Jews are hungry for a messianic figure, and he provides what they, what they say, and he's a, he's a colorful figure who's finally executed by the Pope, by, not the Pope exactly, by the church. Uh, and, 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 and their minions, um, but they. So, uh, so but it, but there were people who came along through history who claimed it. Some of them might have had more legitimacy. There's a fellow by the name of Eldad Adani. Um, today, today, there's an opinion that the Ethiopians might descend from the tribe of Dan. Um, there's no opinion in any halachic work like this, but the, there are people from India who claim to be the Bnei Menashe, and they came to Eretz Yisrael. Many of them converted got a conversion, but they claim that they descend from the tribe of Menashe. This is something that's very much, if you want to learn a little bit of Crash Course in history, you have to realize they've stayed with us. Why? And then the collective consciousness of Klal Yisrael, Ellie, maybe not? Uh, in the collective consciousness of Klal Yisrael, why is that such a big deal for us? 
Jews, we say this, come on, we all close our eyes and sing this in one of our song sessions. All brothers. And we miss our brothers. And we know that we're not ourselves, we're not truly ourselves when we're disunified. We don't have all 12 tribes together. So this weighs heavily on us in our conscience. For the record, you should know that we didn't permanently lose all 12 tribes. Some of them remain back. We know that's true. Some of them were scattered in and around Shomron in the north. We know that's true because later kings in Yehuda would invite them to spend Pesach. Chizkiyahu and Yoshiyahu invite them to spend Pesach down there. We also know that they come back in different interesting colorful ways. Um, there was a group far earlier at Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, Bnei Ephraim, groups of groups of families from Ephraim, one of Yosef's sons, who left Egypt too soon, prematurely, and they all died and their bones rolled down to, and you know this famous Medrash? Their bones rolled down to Shinar Valley, which is otherwise known as Bovel. And that's going to come back in a later episode in history. Uh, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. The dry bones, that actually are the subject of that song, um, from, the nav- from the Navua of Yechezkel and Navi will be revived on that fateful night, and those are Bnei Ephraim. They come back to Klal Yisrael. The Medrash tells us that they become human again, get married, and reintegrate with Klal Yisrael. So in other words, what we call Yehuda, Yehudim, have a smattering of a little, there's a few Bnei, but we might descend from a little, Ephraim there, some, some, some uh, Zvulun over there. They came back, and they're coming back. Um, by the way, whatever happened to the, tw- to, the, to the lost ten tribes, Machlokis in the Mishnah in where, which chapter, in, in, in what chapter would you guess perhaps in, why, would it be Perichelic perhaps, because Perichelic is everything. Uh, last chapter in Sanhedrin. So there's a Machlokas, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Eliezer, in Perichelic. Rabbi Akiva's of the opinion that they're gone. Although even Rashi seems to put that in italics. It's not quite clear. Gone is gone. But he says they're gone. They assimilated subject to uh, the usual fate of Jews who got too comfortable in, in exile. Asher was a little bit too comfortable. Babel was not. We'll see you soon. Babel was not such a comfortable exile. But Asher, Asher the Jews made out very well. So he claims they're gone. Rabbi Eliezer is of the view that they're coming back. And he has many tsukim on his side, including the very famous puzzle we sing in a song, Yerushalayim, Uvauvaldim. You know this? Ashur. In the the Jews will come back, but Rahnidachim, the rejected ones, Be'eretz Ashur, right? Ve'hanidachim, Be'eretz Mitzrayim, and also in Egypt. In the future tense, they will bow down to Hashem Baharakodesh. Uh, and we repeat that several times, right? Yerushalayim, and then we repeat the refrain. Yerushalayim, you remember the song? Yerushalayim. That's the one. We'll sing it at the end of the day, right? Anyway, that's a prediction among many other predictions that one day in the end of days, when the, when the Trias Amesim happens, all the Jews are coming back, and we'll be united in that accepted halachic position. We're about to go in. Oh, we're about to go in. Oh, is that a changing subject? Will they be revived in the end of days? He also addressed in Perichelic. doesn't come out so well for them. Not as well. There's possibilities. Chassidi almost olam, if they're righteous, that's one thing. Um, the others, some, some different disparate, disparate views. The, um, yeah. What, what happened? I didn't, I didn't affirm that. The, um, Sancheirib, the Ashurin king, did something else really significant in history. He did something that Yosef did. We're going to come to this in a few weeks in Parsha. He knows that if you conquer a land, you're only good if you can possess that land by having people living there. He also knows that if you have locals living there, they might get a little bit uppity and rebel against the king. So what do you do? What did Yosef do back in, back in Eretz Mitzrayim? He moved everybody around. He did it very gently and nicely. Sancheri was a brute. He didn't care. And he uprooted people. It was a very cruel thing to do because people don't know the, they don't know the new country. They don't know the Anybody, anybody who's been an immigrant in a, in a foreign land knows it's very tricky, very hard to transplant. 
Um, and he does this. And he takes the Jews, most of the Jews who are in the north, away. But now you've got an essentially empty northern kingdom. You can look on your maps. That's a lot of land. That's a big tract of land. Who does he bring then? And this is a very significant little footnote in history. He brings people from far and wide, from Eretz Kuta and elsewhere. And he brings them there. They're not Jewish. Eretz Kuta, therefore they're called the Kutim. The Kutim in history. Otherwise known as the Shumronin or the Samaritans. Now they go there, and the episode in the, in the Tanakh that's told is they're lions. There used to be lions all around Eretz Israel. Lions come and, and, and absolutely terrify them. They assume that the local god must have sent those lions better to convert to the local god's religions. That's what the pagans thought. Let's, let's, they found the Jewish Kohen. They, they, they persuaded him, convert us so we can appease the Jewish God, and he does. And they convert en masse. They are, and I can do this story much much greater length. It's a fascinating story, but I don't have time for it in this, in this class. We can trace. They are the perennial thorn in the side of the Jews. They never miss an opportunity to give it to us. And they're, they're, they're responsible for some of the heinous crimes. They attack us when we're rebuilding the second temple. They're the ones who meet our host, Shimon Atzadik, who's buried right across the street here. Who's been to Shimon Atzadik's campus so far? Good for you. I know we'll have to take you there at one point. Stop hurting us, and we'll take you over there. The uh, right. So Shimon Tzadik goes out. Remember the famous confrontation between him and Alexander the Great. Alexander's going to come and destroy the Jews because the Kutim snitched on us. It was the Kutim in the story of Purim that, that, that persuades Achashverus to stop the building of the Second Temple. It's the Kutim who remember the story that I told you about the Bar Kokhba caves. Remember this? We crawled yeah, the caves yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. Remember oh. the story <laughs> where the guy sneaks into the sewage of Betar and he goes over and he pretends he's talking to Rabbi Lazar Hamodai, and then he gets Bar Kokhba to come over and kick his uncle's head off. Remember the story at all? Yeah. Okay, Kolbuzor and Chazal. The, the guy who did this was a Kutim. Not coincidentally, they are the only people in history who convert en masse and whose conversion is retroactively uprooted. Today, their halachic status, Rambam says, they are worse than Goyim. Wow. And they are the generic Goyim, Rambam. Based on Chazal. The people we've been talking about the last five minutes. The good Samaritans. By the way, that figures, you shouldn't know from such things, but I have to, I, I, I'm required to learn this in order to refute the, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the other side. Um, in the book of Luke, that you're not allowed to look up, um, that's part of the, what they call the New Testament. Um, the book of Luke tells the story, actually told in Matt and a few other places too, of what they call the good Samaritan, and it's an anti-Semitic slur. That they, t- they tell that story as a way of showing that even somebody as lowly as the Shomronim, because even the early Christians saw the Shomronim as, as evil, as base, as not, uh, not civilized, and he stops by to help the guy by the side of the road, and all the Jews, with the, the Kohen didn't stop, and Levi didn't stop, and the Jew didn't stop, but the, Kut, the, the Kuti stopped. And they call him the Good Samaritan, because most Samaritans they saw is not good. good the Good Samaritan, and that becomes their image. Do you know, I'm sorry, I can't help but a brief tangent, in modern Israel, Finally, the first time back, you know, the Jews are back in Israel after 19 years of exile, and it's really exciting. I don't know about you, I'm pretty excited about being here. And um, you know, the Jews are back, they get to legislate their own laws, maybe incorporate the Torah, of course, it's a secular state, so they don't always do that. And they wanted to codify a law that actually exists in most Western societies um, that talked about that if somebody, if somebody is hurt, you're, it's illegal for you to just walk away, you have to do something about it. You know what they called the law? For the first, first 30, 40 years, they called the Good Samaritan Law, until finally, I don't know what took so long, a religious Knesset member finally woke up and said, wait, now the Christians, like everything else, they ripped everything else off from us. That idea is not a Christian idea, and the Good Samaritan did not make it up. We have a mitzvah, the Arisa, I mean, you know what it is, which translates roughly as 
Don't stand by the blood of your neighbor. What are we calling it the Good Samaritan law? We're finally the first time in history the Jews are back in their land. Let's call it. And indeed today in, their, in the law books in Israel, Baruch Hashem, they changed the name. And it's the Lo Sa'amod law. I don't know if they pronounce it Ashkenazi style. But Lo Ta'amod. Aldam Re'echa. Nowadays. Don't stand by idly by the blood of your neighbor. There are Samaritans left, and I would love to take you there. And I do trips there. I do. I almost went this summer, and then it got a little, little nutty. Have you them and throw rocks at them? No, they're really interesting, though. And they're definitely, they're so nebuch, you know, you just pity them. It's really a fascinating trip. Anybody up to Hargrizim? Hargrizim and Harevel, the two mountains we discussed a couple days ago, where the Brach and the Klala were given. Shechem, this ancient city of Shechem is right between them. So they live up there. Today, they live in two places, in Shechem and Cholon, out near South Tel Aviv. And um, there are, I told you this, there are 739 of them left in the world world today, although I have not checked the obituary pages this morning. So I don't know the count is quite Ah, quite ah, accurate. ah, Uh, But they really are like that. They're they're so funny. There are less than 800 Samaritans left in the world, but they're there. And there's a guy who's a very savvy business guy who has a museum of the Samaritan, comes out in garb, and he talks about their Sefer Torah, and he says the Shema, and they use the old Ksav Ivri, and it's a fascinating trip. It's like, it's it's the best museum artifact you've ever seen. they practice Judaism? They have their own nutty way of doing things that if I get into that chance, it will never get out of here. And I I would love this old Sunday Shabbos with my wife and kids. There's a whole story. You'll have to get me there. And I almost succeeded in getting Derek to dark reason. One, one year, a couple years ago, I almost got us up there. I, I, I did used to check every year until last year. I, I, took, I took us to, to Hebron. I love going to these places. They're authentic. You really? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see it this year. With Every day there's something in Hebron, uh, sadly. But uh, maybe Hargrizim, although I doubt that too. Anyway, one day I have to take it to Hargrizim. It's Givaldi. That's, that's what I want to say. That was my first inclination when I said, well, is there a prize for memorizing this? I said, I'll take it to Hargrizim. But I, I don't think I have that power for that. Yeah. I, I, by Rabbi, the way, nice. no, yeah. is on tape. But, yeah, Rabbi, just between between us, questions? last year, last year we were not allowed to go to Hebron officially because it was dangerous. I go everywhere. Um, I, I go to Shem in the middle of the night. We go to Kibbutz Yosef. There's still there's still attack. You know that every night they're still attacking Kibbutz Yosef. Yeah, we don't hear about it. It's not in the news. Why anyway, the, uh, I know why we don't hear about it. Anyway, Sha Sha Sha. I'm I'm, I'm one second. Let me just finish the idea that last year. No. Got to Hebron. Hebron's the whole, second holiest place in the world, and so we couldn't go. Wouldn't let us. We almost, I almost like slipped it in, but it didn't work. Um, and so what I did was the day after the banquet, Derek was officially over, and Rabbi Blyweiss didn't leave anybody in Hebron because that would have gotten in trouble, and I don't want to put the yeshiva any any difficulties with parents or anything like that. So instead, Menashe Blyweiss took a bunch of his buddies to Hebron. We took the public bus. Had a great, had a great day. Guys, most of the guys, many guys in Shadow Bay came. Um, so anyway, anyway, maybe maybe it'll come to that. Maybe we'll do such a thing later on. Yeah. First of all, um, Kobe and I were in Hebron with Baruch Marzo. You ever hear that guy? Of course I know him. He's a cool guy. Kach, yeah. Yeah, he's cool. And also, um, yeah, is modern-day Shechem the same? There's a little bit of question, but almost certainly. What they call the Arabs called Nablus. Why do they call it Nablus? Because Shechem, over history, was replaced by the Romans as, and the Romans wanted to blot out any trace of Judaism. So they changed Shechem into Neopolis, which means new city. Arabs cannot, for the life of them, say Puh. Puh in Arab becomes inevitably Puh. And so Neapolis eventually initially became Neapolis. And that's where you go to. That's interesting. But there's a tell there. They can date it back from, um, in fact, in next week's Parsha, we're going to see that Yaakov Avinu, in Parsha's Vayishlach, purchases ancient Shechem from Meixita. It's ours, even though we don't get to go there now. No fair, Viter. Wait, and why? And Hebron is the second place. Why? Just because of like. Oh, cuz? 
Oh, get me started on Hebron. We talked about Hebron. We did Hebron a little bit. It figures it's got one of the... It it was the ancient site. Jews lived in Hebron longer than any other community continuously. Uh, It was an ear miklat. It was the the capital of David Amel dimension. One of the six are a miklat. And and most significantly, it's the burial site of six out of seven of our holy patriarchs and matriarchs. Adam and Chava are there. It's an iconic figure. It's the gateway to Gan Eden. So you, you name it, Hebron, Hebron's huge. Not Yerushalayim, but up there. The, uh, Can you tell me about, uh, really, really quickly, you sit there attacking Yosef's tomb every single night. I well, they destroyed it a couple weeks ago, you know that, they, right? They, 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 the and then the Jews came back and they rebuilt it because we're a tenacious bunch, right? And then they destroyed it again. They destroyed it again? No, they didn't destroy it yet, but they're attacking it. They're trying. Every night. Because it's iconic and they know we like it, so they don't. They, they, want, they want to get us. Yeah, you think it's great. interesting because historically, oh, you're getting me all these great tangents. Let, let me do that. Fine, 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 fine. I don't mind. The only thing is, is that I, you know, I think you, we have, I have a lot of stuff to do about the modern era that we're at, at this pace. We're definitely not going to get to, but uh, but maybe we'll have to do this in, at various increments in the year. When Fisher one comes back, I'll have to continue this somehow. We'll we'll get through history, bleed net. In any case, in any case, um, yeah, get me back on track. No, no, no. What was your question? Ask your question again. Oh, the Yosef's tomb. Yosef's... Oh, Rasmus, you were going to say about how it's a holy site. Yaakov purchased Shechem last part. No, no, I didn't say that. Oh, I lost the tangent. Oh, well. Um, Okay, I don't know. Ellie, the last comment? Oh, that was it. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Aaron. What? This is a big idea in history, so let me say it now. It's out of place where in the middle of the first temple period, this is much later, there would be two what they so-called monotheistic religions, only one of them is arguably monotheistic, Christianity is definitely not. Uh, they have the trinity that, that kind of puzzles, puzzles them in major ways, makes them like a Bodhisattva. In any case, the Christians in their theology, this explains so much in history, in their theology, see themselves as the new Jews. They were all initially Jews, all the disciples of Yashka, all of them were Jews, and their tradition they see as the next logical step. I, who are we? What is our role? We're the stubborn old Jews that didn't, they didn't w- recognize Yashka. That's how they can read what they call the Old Testament. Because every place in, in the Old Testament that it says Yisrael, they say we're Yisrael now. The Jews are the despised, hated people of history. That's why they kept us as wandering Jews and put us down and spat on us to show, to prove that God rejected us. Because we rejected the prophet and the Messiah, Yashka, so God now hates the Jews. And they've, this is actually called, you could, you could Wikipedia this, it's called replacement theology. They've replaced, or supersessionism is the other term for it, they've superseded or replaced the Jews. That's why everything in Judaism is holy to them, it's theirs. Because we were the originals, we messed up, and now it's theirs. They've inherited it. That's why Christians, like the Byzantines, like the Crusaders, like the British, all conquered Palestine in thinking that it was rightfully theirs. It's a Christian country, not Jewish. Jewish, the Jews are the old guard. The Muslims superseded much the same Jews and Christians. For Muslims, Musa is a Nabi. How's your Arabic? Musa is a Nabi. Okay, Yisu is a Nabi. Right? Jesus and Moses are prophets to them. Only Muhammad is the final reliable and, and true prophet, but everything that came before is theirs. Why do you think they're go- why do you think that now Golden Dome, what used to be a gray dome, is right there in the holiest place in the world? Because it's theirs. They superseded us. So in theory, you'd think that Kevri Yosef should be. Why is Marsla Mar- Mar- Pele interesting to them? They care about Avram and Sarah? Yeah, well, they do. Ibrahim was Ismail's father. 
we care about Yitzchak and Rivka? Well, yeah, because it was holy to us, de facto it's theirs. It explains a huge amount in history. It also explains a lot of anti-Semitism. The Christians, the Christians are notoriously insecure. That's why they have to put their Jews down, because you know, if the Jews are stubborn, and we keep the old way, maybe we're right. Nah, it can't be. How do they prove that we're wrong? Suppressing us, making us the wandering people. Do you know, in the, in the modern era, when, when Herzl tried to get an audience with the Pope, one of the cardinals met with him, 1902, and, um, and he goes in and he tries to persuade him, we got the Jewish state, it'll be great, we'll, be bond, we'll make a connection, because Herzl didn't care about religion. We'll make a bond with the Pope, it'll be wonderful. And the, the cardinal looked and pointed right in the eye, and in Hebrew they call it Sichat Arbe Naim, conversation four eyes, and he said, no, oh, no, we'll never support your state. We'll never support your state. You people did not accept the Messiah. We will reject you. Because to accept that there's a Jewish state is basically rejecting 2,000 years of Christian theology that God has rejected the Jewish people. Do you know that when the state of Israel proclaimed sovereignty, proclaimed, uh, proclaimed, proclaimed their own unilaterally, because nobody else in the world accepted them, but in 14, May, 14th of May, which was Hey ER, 1948, Tashach, uh, they declared it reluctantly. America finally acknowledged it, the United Nations, but most of the states of the world, even if they were at war with us, accepted the state of Israel. There was one holdout that didn't acknowledge the existence of the state of Israel until 1992. It was called the Vatican. The Vatican did not accept that there was a, they, they, the on their maps. The it's in it's in Italy. It's in Italy. But the Vatican refused to acknowledge it existed because they accepted that there was a thriving Jewish population who were actually some of them were actually religious and keeping their old door away was 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 terribly threatening to them. All because of the supersessionist notion. We, by the way, are not threatened by their existence. Why does it not go both ways? You think, well, they're threatened by us, but we should be threatened by them, but we're not. You know why? Torah is pure and true, and Torah is also very hard. It's an old. So we accept throughout history that it's going to be tough and there's going to be attrition. We left, we said this the other day, and we left Egypt, chamushim. What does chamushim mean? How do we darshan that? One fifth. Why? They, they fell into the flesh pots of Egypt. It was too comfortable. You know, I can't have my, I can't have my sushi and my hamburgers and all the, and all the, uh, and my, my, my smoked, my, what is it, what is it, spicy chicken wings, everything that I want when I want it. You know, so the Americans are like, the Americans are so, and all the restaurants that they like, right? And I can't have anything that I want it. It's, it's been the same story here. So we've always had attrition. Not that American Jews are going necessarily, well, a lot of people are not necessarily, also but usually men assimilation. We know that being with Kabul, Omachot Shemaim is tough, and many people with a big have a very developed, sophisticated Yitzhahara, and they opt out. So they don't. The fact that there were these deviant movements, we've had a lot of deviant movements, Christians and Muslims just are just one of many. Why did the history, so their existence doesn't threaten us. We never, we see, we feel bad for them. Sorry. Yeah, let me go on. Let me go on. I have, I have a few more minutes. Remy, one question? No, let me go on. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm around. I eat lunch with you. I'm here in the afternoon. It's, it's like a 15-second question. Whoa, quick, Ellie, go, quick, quick, go. The Vatican, why did they accept us in 1992? What changed? Oh, uh, too much political pressure. Like and the church is falling apart. This thing. It's been falling apart since the Crusades. They've had seven years of decline, and they're really in trouble in the modern era, and they realize it was the politically prudent thing to do. 15. They, could, they, could, they, could, they couldn't stop anymore. Last story for today. Hashem wanted to make the Gemara in, well, what do you know? Sanhedrin, Perichelik, in. Bikesh HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lassos Chizkiyahu Moshiach V'Sanhedrin Gogumago. Hashem was about to make Chizkiyahu, the new king and the Jews, you can see on your, on your, on your, on your chart, one of the descendants of Shlomo, David and, David and Shlomo, he was going to be the Moshiach, and Sanhedrin, the leader of Asher, was going to be Gogumago, and this would be the end of days. 
Chizkiyahu was a tzaddik par excellence. Listen to this. He built the best educational system ever from Dan to Beersheba. They searched and didn't find a man, woman, or child who was an ignoramus. They all knew the laws of Nida. They all knew the laws of Kashus. They knew everything possible. He purged the land of Avodah Zarah. The entire door was on the level of Geula. In fact, this does not appear in this generation. Rashi brings us on the Pasuk to show that how righteous this generation. It's one of two times in history that this does not need to appear in the sky. Rainbow. rainbow. Why do we have a rainbow after the mobble? To promise that even, against, even if we blow it and get really bad, Hashem promises he's never going to send a mobble again. But there are two generations Rashi cites, the Gemara cites, Rashi quotes, um, that are so righteous they don't need this promise. They don't need the assurance of the rainbow that Hashem's not sending the mobble. It's evident to everybody. You don't need such a rainbow. And after generations, get this, stay with me. If you're, if you're in the drama of history, this is powerful. I get the chills when I say it. After generations of kings, some righteous, some less, many of them trying to do good work, but all of them failing in this particular endeavor, Chizkiyahu rises up and he gets rid of the Bamos. This is a righteous man, right? He gets rid of the Bamos. We're on a revolutionary track. Mashiach is on the way. Senchayrif comes, he brings 185,000 troops. It's one of the three wars in history that are so massive uh, that, they, that they make the headlines all over the world. The first, of course, was Avram confronting the four kings. We had it a few weeks ago in Parsha. The last, of course, is Mechemes Gogu Magog. And this is the middle one. When they get to Yushalayim, Hashem hastens his way. Miracles happen. They get there. And Sanchiru and, and his generals say, let's attack right now, Sanchiru. And Sanchiru looks at them and says, you know, you're tired, let's sleep on it. This fateful move should give all of us procrastinators uh, lots to think about. He sleeps on it, and that night it's Leila Seder. It's Pesach night. The Jews inside the city are trembling. They're terrified. Chizkiah is the one with the two turkey kids. We mentioned them the other day. Rav Shaka and Menashe. Rav Shaka the other side. Menashe is still in the, in, in the good camp, but he's going to rise up. We'll hear about Menashe in a moment. Not, not today. We'll hear about him on Sunday. Uh, the Jews are threatening. Everybody's terrified on the inside of, 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 of Yerushalayim, except, of course, for the righteous prophet, Ishayahu, who knows better, who knows that the Jews, as long as they're keeping Torah and mitzvahs, they're fine. But Chizkiah is nervous. Sancheriv, the bad guy, his troops beg him to attack. He says, no. And that night on Pesach, Gavril comes down from the heavens and he smites the entire camp. He leaves, according to the Gemara, five and some say 14 or somewhere in the middle, survivors. And they wake up the next morning and it's a massive, one of the great Yeshuos of history. One of the great redemptions of history. By the way, of those survivors, who's included? Anybody know? Two young guys who are not good. Manasseh? No, 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 no. No, the evil guys from the other camp, oh, from the Ashur. Well, one is Sancheriv. He survives the, he survives the ordeal. But two are very, two young soldiers from Bavel by the name of Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar. Oh. That's the right answer. Okay? Um, later on, Sancheriv's two sons go back to, they go back to Ashur after the king is defeated and they kill their father. From, they convert and they, they, their descendants include two righteous people, Zugos, Shmaya, and Avtalion, the, the teachers of Hillel and Shammai are their descendants. Again, another pattern in history you see from evil comes righteous. Um, now, Chizkiyahu, that morning, it's Leila Seder, who wakes up in the morning, instead of seeing an ambush, instead of seeing defeat, he sees the entire camp of Ashur defeated. And Hayalo, the Gemara says, I'm almost done, Hayalo Lomar Shir. He should have woken up, and he should have said, he should have, should have sung a Kaddish Baruch Hu's praises when we were confronted with these great visions. We should do this. And he doesn't. And he doesn't, and he's not Mashiach. And the big $20 million question is, why not? And there are different answers, and the one that resonates with me, you can pick your own. I looked around, I saw in the Chidush Arim, 
the founder of the of Ger Hasidus, he gives, I think, a very, very sound, logical answer. And in his answer, of course, is deep Musr that we can all, that resonates for us in history too. He gives this fantastic answer. He says, what's the problem of, of Hizkiyahu and his generation? That they're mudas zos b'chol ha'aretz. Thank you so much. You're so wonderful. Mudasos b'chol ha'aretz. This is known in all the, one second, one second. I'm almost done. This is known in all the land, meaning, he knew too much, and he'd been around Hashem's miracles so much that he got too used to them. And he was what's called Meluma Benisim. He'd seen a lot of miracles, seen one, seen them all, and he was, he was impressed, but not as impressed as he should have been. It had become rote, it had become routine. Because of that, he didn't get up and sing Shira like he should have done, and he'd sung, if he had sung Shira that fateful morning, Mashiach would have come and we would never have had all the toils that we've had throughout history. And he didn't do it, it's it's, it's incredible message. Most of us suffer from this syndrome. What's the syndrome? Yeah, it's just so boring. <laughs> Rabbi, I got to get up and dive in Shachris. Yeah, you got to get up and dive in Shachris tomorrow because if you dive in Shachris tomorrow, you dive in Marik tonight, as if your soul depends upon it because it does, and all the Klai Israel hangs in the balance, Mashiach will come. We're just so, we're so, no, it's worse than lazy. We're jaded. We're jaded. We've been around. We've been around the block. I heard that schmooze once before, Rabbi. I heard it all, done it all, seen it all, and so on. And, and to a fault, we don't, we don't appreciate the gifts and the miracles that are all around us in history. Um, Sunday, Bezrash Hashem. Uh, got some bad news for you. The basic mix is going to be destroyed. We'll talk about the ramifications. Have a great Shabbos. Yeah, great Shabbos.